dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Many gifted people struggle with the temptation to draw all the attention to themselves. The allure of leadership is that it puts us in positions of power and therefore esteem in the eyes of others. A leader who's a Christian needs to resist this, of course, and dedicate themselves to really enhancing the lives of others around them as a servant. In this fourth of our 13-part series on Mary, we look at how she lived as a servant leader as she visited her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Hey, welcome back. I'm glad that you're with us here. We continue on our this series of looking at Something rather exciting, really, like how the Virgin Mary speaks to us about what we live as leaders. And we got to remember, of course, that even though Mary might seem to be a distant kind of figure to many of us, you know, she's a statue <laughs> in our churches, you know, and therefore she can almost seem larger than life or like someone who's, who's not real, that Mary was, of course, a human being. And she lived 2,000 years ago in Nazareth as a woman. And as someone, therefore, who is just like us, following as a disciple of Jesus Christ, even though she's, of course, his mother at the same time, uh, watching God unfold his plan and doing her best to love as God commanded her to love. And, and so in, in that way, when we look at her life, we see something that we can imitate. Now, the thing is, is all of you who are, who are here, you're here because you have a position of influence. You are a leader and you want to lead better. You are soccer coaches. You are moms, of course, the grandmas, right? These are all leaders positions. Anytime that you have an influence over other people and you make that influence intentional, right? To, to change someone's life for the better as a teacher, right? As, as, as a coach, as, as a fitness advisor, a business owner, a manager, a professional, a dentist. I see all of you out here, right? And each one of you in your different fields, is leading. You're creating a culture around you that lifts up everyone who is a part of it. And therefore, you're very important people. <laughs> and of course, and, and that's why I want you to look towards Mary, who was actually slightly more important than you are. <laughs> Just you know, it, it, all kidding aside, Mary is more important. She is the, the mother of God, of course. And we give her that. Well, how did Mary play her role as a leader? How, 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 what was Mary like? as someone who bore that influence in the world. Well, I mean, well, one thing that's interesting as we do this, we're using the Bible, of course, and, but we see how the Bible intersects with a lot of secular philosophy about leadership. And a, and a lot of it's very good. I hope you, you all can read some of these great books that are just out there about leadership. You know, and There's one in particular that really dovetails beautifully with Christianity, even though it's not a complete endorsement of the theory or anything, but it's called the Servant Leadership. And I think most of you who read it or study servant leadership say, well, that's exactly it. That's exactly what we are called to do, to be servant leaders. And Jesus, of course, tells us to do just that 
in when he washes the feet of the apostles. He said, as I have done this to you, so you too must do this to each other, right? Wash one another's feet. Serve the one. The one who be greatest among you must become the servant of the rest. He literally says that, right? So we say, okay, we get that. And then we can read that philosophy and try to understand it, it and put it into practice. What I think is remarkable is that when I look at the life of the Virgin Mary, I can actually see her doing the same thing. And we see it specifically in the Gospel of St. Luke when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. We read it right here in Luke, Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord had said to her will be accomplished. Now, of course, it keeps going. Mary then proclaims her Magnificat, this beautiful prayer. And then it says in verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Right? So it seems like a very simple thing. And that's the whole beauty of it. The visitation is, in fact, a very simple thing. Mary went to visit Elizabeth, staying with her for three months. What's remarkable about this is that it's not just a visit. It's the visit between the virgin mother of God (laughs) and her pregnant kinswoman. So now you have two pregnant women. Another very important fact, Mary's age, who knows exactly, but let's suppose she was around 16. Elizabeth's age, past her childbearing years. So who knows, of course, but this could make her very well the age of Mary's grandma, right? I mean, like, look at the discrepancy there in in, in the ages. And then one living in the hill country in Judea, near the power center of of all things, Jerusalem, where where that village where Elizabeth was living is not far from Jerusalem. Uh, And yet at the same time, Mary is coming all the way from Galilee. And if you look at the, the road Mary would have had to have taken to get there, Mary would have journeyed between eight days and 15 days just to be able to get there. So why did she want to go? Well, that's, that's another remarkable fact about this encounter in this visit. It's that Elizabeth had not been able to conceive a child and she had gained the ridicule of people around her. They said she is the one who is sterile, right? And, and so because of that, Elizabeth was living in a, in a deep sense of shame. And yet the angel told Mary that Elizabeth was in her sixth month. And this is something that's really beautiful to contemplate about the heart of the Virgin Mary. That the angel just comes to tell her that she's going to conceive in, 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 in her womb and bear a son who will be great, called the son of the Most High, right? And ends up, will save his people from his city. He will have the, the throne of the David and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's what the angel told Mary. Kind of a big deal. You would think that Mary would then withdraw and say, I'm very special. I don't know what to do with myself. But the other thing that the angel said is as a sign, behold, Elizabeth, your kinswoman, is already in her sixth month of pregnancy, right? For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary latches onto that. It's immediately, it's actually in the same chapter of St. Luke, as soon as the angel leaves, Mary makes ready in haste and takes off to go see Elizabeth. <laughs> now, the, why? Because she, I, she wants to be with Elizabeth 
in this moment when Elizabeth's shame of sterility has been lifted from her. And, and, and now here's Elizabeth who's conceived in her old age and Mary wants to be with her. It's, it's remarkable and I want to unpack that because it's such a sign of what a servant leader does. The very first thing is a certain le servant leader is able to forget themselves and look with their greatness and with their giftedness at how they can lift the other people up. What an incredible gift this is. In a worldly perspective, our gifts and our talents are there to make us rise so that we can then benefit the more in a personal way from all of the, the things that we've accrued over our life, our skills, our experiences, our promotions, our titles. They enable us to have more stuff, more power, more pleasure. And, and, and yet that's not the call that we see here in Mary. She's been given the greatest gift of all. I mean, nobody has anything more going for them than what Mary had going for her. <laughs> the angel says, you're approved by God. God says, I want to come and live in your womb. You know, this is kind of a big deal, you know. And, and Mary is, is the most successful woman, therefore, in the history of the entire world. This has never happened before. That God has become flesh in a person's womb. So if anyone would say, well, therefore, I am the cat's meow, it could be Mary. And yet, what do you see Mary doing? Mary's immediately, the only thing the angel said about someone else, St. Elizabeth, and that's what Mary clings to. She recognizes that her gifts aren't there for her, you know, inurement. They're there so that she can give them away. And that's exactly what she does. Now, what an icon that is for you and me. Are you a young adult between the ages of 22 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, June 25th through July 1st at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. You know, I say this all the time, that the biggest problem that we have in our leadership today is when we separate our faith from it and we allow our leadership to be, we'll be to be influenced and to be guided and to be, to be taught in a sense by other value systems than the, than the word of God. And that, that, not that every system is bad, I mean, or, or without value, but nothing compares to the purity and the beauty and the power of the influence and the teaching that comes from God. And so what I want to do at the St. John Leadership Network is help you to hear God speaking to you and let God teach you how to lead. And, and I'm convinced that this is a good thing, right? Because what one of the examples of that is, is that if we don't allow God to teach us what to do with our giftedness, very quickly, our giftedness will become an excuse to lord ourselves over others. And even if we don't do it in a real way that's, you know, haughty or, you know, narcissistic, you know, in an overt fashion, what we end up doing is ignoring the plight of the poor or ignoring what the, the full potential for good that we could leverage our gifts and our resources and our privilege for to lift up other groups and other people, right? And so we, we miss those opportunities. So even though we might think we're very humble and nice, in fact, we're not as active as we could be. And it's frankly because, well, our vision of leadership was taught to us by the world. 
and it was given to us by other people that say, listen, you rise to the top, you know, uh, the winners make the rules. As long as you're with a group of people that say that you're a good person, you are a good person. It kind of reminds me of, you know, the, the, the way that many people today say there's no right or wrong. People will come to me all the time and they'll say, you know, I don't think that there's an absolute in morality. You can't say things are objectively, universally wrong. And I, whenever that happens, you know, I, I usually stop and I'll, I'll ask them, okay, well, is there anything that's absolutely and universally right? Because if you're going to deny that there's wrong in the world, you're also in, incapable of affirming that there's anything right. Because as soon as you say that this is right, it means that the contrary to it or the opposite of it or the missing thereof is wrong. And so when, when you're in front of someone who says you can't say that things are wrong, that there is no right or wrong in the world, you're looking at someone who literally does not have an end goal that they're able to guide anyone towards. And someone who doesn't have an objective measure for their action is someone who makes their own will the measure of their action. And that person's dangerous, honestly, because of that same person. Well, who's to say how they're going to define the world and what we should live for? If there's nothing objective that allows us all to say this is an end goal that we should reach and therefore missing it or doing the contrary thereof is wrong, well, then we're consigned to the whim and therefore the tyranny of whoever it is who has power and is defining the rules for us. And therefore, I mean, this is the beauty of our Christian worldview is to not separate leadership from faith, but instead to say, I am leading from faith and in faith and the light of God is nothing to blush at. Instead, it's, it's a wonderful gift for our world. And the proof of that is that when we walk in the light of God, we become like Mary because God says, if you're a leader, you're there in order to bless the world by your leadership. In order to take the gifts that I've given you, they actually impel you to greater service. The, the one who is the first will be the last. The one who wants to be greatest among you must be the servant of the rest and the lowest, take the lowest place in the group. Well, so, so all of us want to be great. All of us want to push to the top. And God says, exactly, if you want to push the top, then be like me. Because at the Last Supper, I'm going to show you what it means to rule. I, who am the Lord and Master, am going to stoop down and wash the feet of my disciples and say, you must do the same. Blessed are those who wash the feet of one another. This is an incredible lesson. What an image. And then that the, the Father, the God, our Shepherd, who was the most gifted and the most powerful of any human being ever would choose to die on the cross, giving his life for us to live. It's, it's, it's the image that drives us forward. Well, that's a vision for leadership that's very compelling. But, but look what's at the heart of it, to forget ourselves. And I think a lot of us are afraid to do that. It's, it's hard to forget yourself because you feel like if you forget yourself, you're not going to get anything out of it. Right? I mean, if, if, if life is a pie and you don't grab your piece of it, well, then you're going to go hungry. It just goes to say, right? So if I spend my life serving others, well, I could end up being like George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life, right? It, it, you kind of smile when you say that because you're like, well, that is kind of what makes that whole movie so special. No man is poor, says, who has true friends. Remember that? At the very end of the movie, there, no man is poor who has true friends. 
Well, how do I gain true friends in the world if not by loving them, putting them first, serving them, seeing my life as a gift that lifts up other people? That's kind of what makes this a wonderful life, such an incredibly Christian allegory in a sense. It's the tale that George Bailey is a lot like the Virgin Mary. Right? It's, it, there, there's an analogy there. It, it's the idea to, to say, I'm not here in this earth for me. I'm actually here in this earth to share the goodness that's inside of me with one another, to, to, to make of it a gift. And but you see, the fear is that, we, that if we do that, we'll miss out. But I've got something news for you there. Like, are, aren't you already missing out by not having love? I mean, if love isn't first in your life, I'd like to, to invite you to, to consider making it first in your life because the person who has love has a secret that overcomes the whole world that's greater than anything the world could offer. The person who has love in their life doesn't need anything else except as it, whatever they get, they're able to make as a gift to others and increase the love thereby. But the, the secret of our life is the one who doesn't have love is forever poor. And that's what Christian leadership is all about. And, that, and that's what we see in the Virgin Mary. I mean, she's given the greatest gift that God could possibly give. And she immediately goes in order to share it with her kinswoman in need. In her sixth month, you know, so, I mean, Mary's going to be there, therefore, all the way through the birth of John the Baptist. She's, she's going to be there all the way up until that birth. Just for three months, she stays with Elizabeth, her kinswoman, serving her, helping her. You know, and you could almost say, I mean, St. Elizabeth gets it right. She says, who am I that you should come to me? Right? In other words, like, like you are greater than me. You're the mother of God, and I'm just the mother of John the Baptist. And yet that's the whole beautiful image here of what it means to be a Christian leader. Yes, I might be greater, like Christ is greater than the apostles and yet washes their feet. Mary is greater than Elizabeth and yet serves Elizabeth. Well, you are greater than many people in this world. And, 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 you, and you are so that you make it a gift and a service that lifts up and builds up the others around you. Even, at, even if that means forgetting yourself, I'd almost like to say, blessed are we for being able to forget ourselves. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. There's another aspect to this mystery of the visitation that I want to look at with you, and, and that's the Mary's Magnificat. It's, it's a prayer. The Magnificat is the Latin word, right? That It literally means my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Magnificat, magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. And, and because it's a remarkable prayer in that Mary takes stock of all of the ways that God has blessed her. And, and, and God, the, the things that God has done for her that are amazing. And I, and I think this is interesting because we are, we're tempted to say, well, isn't that the antithesis of humility? Doesn't humility consist in saying that I'm bad or consist in saying that I'm, I really don't have much going for me? You know, isn't a humble person someone who hides themselves or at least acts, you know, as if the gifts that they have aren't all that great? Well, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because here you have the Magnificat where the Virgin Mary is given to us as an, as an example of someone 
who sees her blessed state. I mean, she even says, all generations will call me blessed, right? For the Most High has done great things for me. <laughs> and you could always say, well, gosh, isn't that going to get in the way of her self-gift? Isn't that going to get in the way of her service? How can someone serve other people if they're walking around saying, God has done great things for me? Right? And I think that's what's so beautiful about it. I would actually say this. The reason why we don't serve enough is because we don't take enough stock of the great things that God has given us. The problem isn't that we have great things or not. The problem is that we don't recognize that they come from God. I mean, you're sitting here extremely educated individuals. You have college degrees. You, you know, you've gone to great universities. You have experiences in, in licensing and you've been certified and you've experienced in your career 15 years doing in your professions. You're at the, the acme of your careers. And you're going to sit here and tell me that you don't have gifts. It's, it's just really amazing. There was a study that was done by the Clifton Gallup poll um, group, and they asked Americans, you know, in a poll, uh, poll selection group, to name three of their top strengths. And only 15% of people surveyed could actually come up with three things that they were strong in. 15%. That means 85, 8.5 out of 10 Americans cannot list or name the things that they're really good at. And I think it's even worse when we comes to Christians because then we, we mope around. We say, well, you know, I'm, I don't really want to, you know, make myself sound like I'm, I'm, I'm much better than anyone else, etc. Well, I, I can understand that from a certain angle. But then from another angle, if you really want to make a difference in the world, in your family, for example, let's just suppose, let's just talk to you to get rid of the big talk. Let's talk about you and your family. If you're a grandpa and you think that you've got nothing to offer your family, <laughs> well, you're definitely not going to offer them anything. <laughs> the very first step to failing in leadership is to not know where you're going to lead the people to or to think that you're incapable of it. Well, you're, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. No one's going to follow someone who doesn't want to lead them. And, and, and so, but well, who am I to give anything? I, you got to restore that. You of yourself might have, yeah, there might be a lot of things wrong with us, right? We might have done a lot of things wrong in our life. We might have a lot of failures and cracks and all these things in us. But by golly, God, I am not just the sum of my faults and my failings. I'm the sum of God's love for me and his gift that he's given to me. I mean, I, I am someone who has been forgiven by God. That's a whole different attitude that we could take. If I led the people around me as if I'm someone who God has given a second chance to, I'd be more likely to give a second chance to everyone else, wouldn't I? You know, if I took stock of the fact that, that God gave me a sunshine every morning and God has given me hope in my heart, wouldn't it be possible for me to then, even more possible, to look around and tell everyone else the same thing? You know what I mean? Like looking at how God gives me well, his love, his assurance, his justice, his, his faithfulness allows me to do and give the same to the other people around me. This is what the secret of Mary is. It's not that she hid the gifts of God. It's that she received them. <laughs> and receiving them, she was able to dispense them. I mean, she becomes the blessing for Elizabeth that God was for her. Just as God graced her with his presence in her womb, Mary graced Elizabeth with Mary's presence in her house. Just as God preserved Mary from sin, 
So Mary could come with a smile of compassion and understanding to Elizabeth in her difficult situation of sterility. You know, I mean, look, look at how this, this plays itself out. Leaders receive the gifts from God into who they are without fear because it's not the gifts that separate us from the, our people or from other people. The gifts actually can unite us with other people. That's the, the intention of God by giving a gift to a leader isn't that he makes the leader separate thereby or, or he makes the leader a king who lords in, in a tyrannical way over people. The reason why God gives gifts to some is so that thereby they can be united even more closely with their fellow human beings. I mean, what a vision. That leaders are the source of unity because the gifts that we receive, we give away. That's what it means to lead by, to, as a servant and to serve as a leader. This is exactly what we see Mary doing. She goes forth into communion from the height of the solitude that she's achieved by God's gift to her. I mean, God gives her such a gift and makes her the only one in the world that can do that. And Mary turns around and suddenly puts that, folds that into a service to lift up Elizabeth in her moment of need. And what a pattern that is for all of us. I guess what I'm trying to say to you guys is don't be afraid of your greatness. Don't be afraid to let God bless you. Don't be afraid to embrace the, 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 the real treasures that you have been given by God of intellect and faithfulness and talent and virtue, good education, good family, all these things that, yes, give you a privilege in a really wonderful way. There's not a problem with having a privilege. Privilege is there so that you can pour yourselves out all the more effectively to help other people, to educate. You know, it, to see that gift as a mission. Mary received Jesus into her soul as God's greatest gift and allowed that gift to impel her forth as a missionary. And she continues to do that throughout her life. She gives birth to Jesus and then presents Jesus to the shepherds. She presents Jesus to the wise men. She takes Jesus over into Egypt. She takes Jesus into the temple. She allows Anna to prophesy over Jesus. She allows Zechariah to take Jesus in his arms. She then takes Jesus home to Nazareth, where then she prepares. And at Cana, she sends him forth on his mission. You know what I mean? She's constantly giving Jesus. Her last words in the Bible, do whatever he tells you to do. Mary was able to do that because of the way that she understood the gifts of God. And, and that becomes such an example for us all. Receive those gifts so that you can give them away and give them generously away. Give them away in such a way that they multiply. That's what it means to lead like a Christian servant. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.